Thank you for joining us this morning as we're going to be meeting as God's people. And I pray that God will speak to you, even though you're not with me and I'm not with you. He will still bless us as we study his word together. For those of you who are with us this morning who may not know about our church or have ever been a part of it, I'm delighted that you have tuned in and you're listening to it as well. And I pray God blesses you for being a part of this. I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning. For those of those, those of our church family, that you will have your outline with you and you will use that as we look at God's Word this morning. In Gary Ingram's book, Hearts of Iron and Feet of Clay, the art author refers to creeping compromise. He equates it to the, to the tsunamis that brought unprecedented and massive destruction in southern Thailand back in 2004. The author says, and I thought this was interesting, there are times that forces rise that have almost insurmountable power. We live in a time when massive forces are pounding our culture, forces that seem almost irresistible. He goes on to refer to secular humanism that has ushered in a naturalistic worldview and has removed spiritual and religious beliefs from the public sphere. We live in a cultural tsunami. Philippians 2.15 tells us, in the midst of crooked and depraved generation. As a result, God's people have drawn back from a wholehearted and committed and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we're in a spiritual disaster. Opinion polls tells us that those who call themselves followers of Christ virtually indistinguishable from our non-Christian counterparts, both in our values and our behavior. This outcome is virtually never the product of a single moment or results of a single failure. But our fa final failure serves to reveal a pattern of creeping compromise. We see the increasing uh, capitulation to ungodly values and actions. We are helpless to deal with the problem because we never seem to make the right diagnosis. We spend all of our time sweeping down cobwebs instead of killing spiders. It was just last Sunday that we talked about resurrection and what it meant. And so today we're going back to the Old Testament picture of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to learn some things about compromise as we look at God's people in that day. I hope you have your Bible and you'll turn with me to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and the 20. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 29. But I want you to listen to what God has to say as we go back and we look at the incidents that happened back in Egypt. And we're looking at them in the book of Hebrew right now. You follow along in your copy of God's Word. By faith, Hebrews 11, verse 24, by faith, Moses when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater 
wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that, destro- so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed or passed through the Red Sea as on dry a land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. And then in verses, those verses that we've looked at, in verse 27 we see a decision, in verse 28 we see a deliverance, and in verse 29 we see a demonstration. And I pray God speaks to you and to me concerning this. Would you pray with me? Father, how easily our hearts can become troubled and fearful. As we look at Moses this morning, help us to see that by faith, like Moses, he chose mistreatment with God's children rather than the pleasures of sin. By faith, he chose reproach with Christ over the wealth of Egypt. By faith, Moses left all that he had and all that he knew in Egypt for the unknown to seek after and to see him who is invisible. By faith, Moses kept the Passover. He believed God would be all he needed and all that he had promised he would do. By faith, Moses and the people of God passed through the Red Sea on dry land. And so, Father, this morning, help us, your people, to trust you and to cling to you and to your promises of peace and victory. And Father, as you say in John, we rely on that so much. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And then you tell us to believe in you and to trust you. And so, Father, may that happen in our lives right now, And in our nation, I pray in Christ's name, amen. I want us to look at the results of no compromise. We talked about creeping compromise in our opening. And I want you to see this morning how Moses handled this. And we're going to see some decisions that he made. First of all, there was a decision regarding the practice of sin. We saw that in Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith, Moses left Egypt. Some translations say he forsook Egypt. Now in the symbolism of the Bible, Egypt is symbolic of sin. And the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, is symbolic of Satan. And now we understand that verse 27 is telling us that Moses is turning, he's leaving, he's forsaking sin. If you remember, Pharaoh did not want God's people to go. And you remember also, and you know also, that Satan never gives up anything without a fight. Now while we're looking at that, I want you to turn with me now back to Exodus where all this happened. Back in the 8th chapter of Exodus. 
And we're going to go through this, and I want you to see some of the clever compromises that Pharaoh offered Moses to keep him in the promised land, and the same compromises that Satan offers us today. The first one I want you to see, put this on your outline, was a decision regarding salvation. Pharaoh wanted him to make a compromise. In Exodus 8, verse 25, the Bible says, Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. Now, Pharaoh meant go sacrifice right here in Egypt. This comes right after the fourth plague. You remember there were ten plagues, and the fourth plague was the plague of flies. And it made the whole land just ruined, it seemed like. But Pharaoh is saying there is no need to take to make a break with Egypt. You don't have to move out. Moses, if you want to be religious, go right ahead. If you want to, wor- to worship your God, go ahead. But Moses, do it right here. Now, Satan will say the same thing today, and some will listen to him. If you want to be religious, that's all right. It looks respectable. But just tack it on to your old way of life. Just add a little religion. It's all right. Just dress up Egypt, and you won't have to desert it. Satan doesn't mind you being religious just as long as you're lost. You can have reasoning but he don't want you to have repentance. You can have education, but he doesn't want you to have regeneration. You can have culture, but he don't want you to have Calvary. Listen, Satan just as soon to send you or me to hell from the pews of a church as he would the gutter. In fact, it's probably better advertisement for the devil. This was a decision regarding salvation. And there was a compromise that Pharaoh offered to his people to do that. But I want you to listen, secondly, to a decision regarding separation. In verse 28 of Exodus 8, So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. Now God hadn't called them to the wilderness. He had called them to the promised land. Not to rocks and sand and rattlesnakes, but to milk and honey and pomegranates and grapes and valleys and rivers. Just move to the suburbs of Egypt is what Pharaoh's saying. Listen, the devil cannot keep you from going with God. If he cannot keep you from going with God, he'll try to keep you from going all the way with God. Satan wants you to be a wilderness Christian. Some have listened to his compromises. You're saved but you have settled in the suburbs of sin. God wants you to be different. In Exodus 11, verse 7, the Bible says, Know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. We're called to be different, not the same. It's so sad when the world cannot tell the difference. Verse 27, Moses said, We must go. We cannot stand here, stay here. So Satan tried to compromise salvation, And he tried to make them compromise separation. There's a third decision that Moses says he was going to do. And it's a decision regarding soul winning. But Pharaoh tries to make a compromise here as well. In Exodus 10 verses 8 and 9, the Bible says, And he, speaking of Pharaoh, said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. 
We will go with our sons and our daughters. Pharaoh says, you men go, but don't take your families. Don't take your families. It might be dangerous. Satan doesn't care about your family or my family. Moses says, we're going. We're going all the way and all of us are going. Satan hates families that serve the Lord together. What we've done is sacrificed our children to popularity and to prestige and to pleasure. God's Word teaches a family relationship with Christ. How could anyone who has a real and intimate relationship with Christ be content or complacent about going to heaven and leaving their loved ones behind to go to hell? I could not leave my precious wife and sons and daughter-in-loves and grandchildren to go to hell. I could not do that. I cannot understand that. Moses says, we're not leaving our family behind. Acts 16.31, God's Word says, so that they... So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Noah was instructed to bring all of his family into the ark. Joshua 24 verse 15 says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell in. But as far as me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Catherine Booth, the wife of the creator of the Salvation Army, prayed, Oh God, I will not stand before you without all my children. She had 18 of them. And all of them were saved and all served their Lord. There was a salvation temptation, a separation temptation, the soul winning compromise or temptation that Pharaoh offered Moses and Aaron. There was a fourth temptation, a decision regarding stewardship. In Exodus 10 verses 24 and 26, when Pharaoh called Moses and said, go serve the Lord with your little ones, also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burn offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. We must serve the Lord our God, he's saying, with all of our substance. That offering plate reminds us that all of our substance belongs to God. The devil has no right to God's substance and he has that he's entrusted to you. Child, if of God, I want to tell you something. Your wallet, your bank account, your 401, your retirement, your house, your car, your land, all belongs to God. Have you compromised with the devil and left behind, left some things behind in Egypt? Moses said, not hiding her hair, nor hoof or horns going to be left behind. We're going to take it all. Moses forsook Egypt. We're going. We're all going. We are going all the way, and we're going with all we have. He wasn't going to compromise. So first of all, there was a decision regarding the practice of sin. But when you make that decision, and that you're going to follow God, I want you to know there's some things you're going to experience, some wonderful things you're going to experience. First of all, I want you to see the second part, part B, a deliverance regarding the pollution of sin. Hebrews 11 verse 28 says, By faith 
He, that's Moses, kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. It's not enough for Moses just to decide to leave Egypt. If that's all he's going to do, that's like turning a new leaf and it amounts to nothing. He needs a dynamic to deliver him from the tentacles of sin. And I want you to notice how God does this. God's Word says in Acts 20 verse 21, repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we have that victory. Faith in His shed blood that is symbolized in the Passover. In 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, God's Word says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. When God called His children out of Egypt, He taught them to slay a lamb. That lamb was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ that we just celebrated the resurrection last Sunday. Then the New Testament tells us, as New Testament believers, to live out our faith. Don't make any compromises. All of this is in Exodus 12. Listen. The first thing I want you to see, and you can write these on your outline, the lamb was a special lamb. It had to be a male. Exodus 12 verse 5 says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, a pure spotless lamb that was to be kept up for three days. During that time, they were inspecting the lamb. One blemish would have disqualified the lamb. In fact, it is said that those priests in those days would roll up the eyelids to make sure there was no blemish underneath the eyelids. The New Testament lamb, Jesus Christ, also was inspected. Do you know that over one-third of the Gospels are written about the last week of Christ before Calvary? They were looking for a blemish. John 8, 46 says, Which one of you convicts me of sin? And like Pilate, they all had to say, I find no fault in him. No compromise with sin. That's how we live out our part in the feast. His deliverance from the pollution of sin is our example. Well, the lamb was a special lamb. Let me tell you a second thing. The lamb was a slain lamb. Exodus 12 verse 6 says, And you shall keep it up until the 14th day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight or at evening. That was a special time. There was a special time that the Son of God was to be slain. In fact, Galatians 4 verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son to redeem those who were under the law. Jesus says in John 8 verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Abraham saw this. Isaac asked his father Abraham on Mount Moriah, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Genesis 22 verse 8 tells us, and Abraham said, now listen to this closely. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Himself as a lamb. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. When the Lamb of God was on Calvary, the Levites were splitting the throats of the sacrificial lambs. Jesus bowed His head and cried out, It is finished. Mr. Levi, you can go home. Little Bethlehem lambs, you can rejoice. We don't need you. The symbol is no longer needed. Reality is here. The Lamb has been been slain. 
The real thing is here. It was a special lamb. It was a slain lamb. But there's a third thing to put on your outline. The lamb was a saving lamb. Exodus 12 verse 7 and then verse 13 says, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat. The blood shall be assigned to you on the houses that you are, on the houses that where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No compromise. Only by His blood are we saved. Only by His blood can we be delivered from the pollution of sin. 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. They put the blood across the top of the door and they down the sides of it. And when you walked in or out, you had to walk through the blood. That's what it's all about. As those in Exodus 12, we must trust the Word of God and the work of God to be delivered. Had they not put that blood on the doorpost and on the top, their firstborn would have lost his life. The blood makes us safe and the Word of God makes us sure. The truth you know makes you free. God, it, does God see the blood of His Son on your life? A live lamb tied to the door would have failed him. Salvation does not come by learning lessons from the life of Christ, but by receiving life from the death of Christ. No compromise. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You and I will either walk under the blood or we'll trample over the blood. He was a special lamb, a slain lamb, a saving lamb. But the fourth thing I want you to see, the lamb was a shared lamb. Can you imagine the Roma of a quarter of a million lambs being roasted? Exodus 12 verse 8, verse 8 says, They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. Right then, a group of slaves were becoming a nation. A bunch of sinners were becoming in fellowship with God and with one another over a lamb. Jesus Christ gave Himself for us that He might give Himself to us. The Passover lamb was energizing these Israelites. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh my goodness, that's the guarantee. Child, there is nothing the world has to offer that will feed and satisfy us. The Lord's Supper is a great picture of the family of God feeding upon the Lamb of God. Don't you compromise to feed from the world when you can only be energized by feeding on the Lamb. There was a decision regarding the practice of sin. Second, there was a deliverance regarding the pollution of sin that we talked about. But last, there is a demonstration regarding the victory over sin. Hebrews 11 verse 29 says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. The sea was before them, and at their back was the army of Egypt. The Hebrews were literally between the devil and the deep blue sea. Isn't that the picture of our daily dilemma with sin? 
Exodus 14 verse 13 says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Cadus, Crossroads Baptist, church, I want you to know that people in our area will know Jehovah is God when they see victory over sin in our lives. You remember that story. Exodus 14 verse 22 says, And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. And verse 29 says, The people of Israel walked on the dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. What a demonstration of victory. Hebrews 11 tells of this, tells of this that this was by faith moving out on God's promises, refusing to compromise. No matter what things no matter what things appear like, I want you to know God's word is saying we can know power and have power in our life when there is no compromise. Ephesians 1 verse 19 in the Phillips translation says, "How tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God." It takes energy, effort, and stamina. It takes power greater than our effort, our energy. God wants us to depend on Him. Moses and the children of Israel had no power of their own. Neither do we. But our God does. He has power. I want you to notice this, the last on your outline. He has power to do. Philippians 4 verse 13 says... I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Christ gives me the strength and the power to do. He gives me the power to get through. Remember the people of Israel walked through on dry ground. Isaiah 40 verse 28 through 31 says, He does does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might he increases strength. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The phrase wait on or wait for the Lord means those who do not compromise. He gives us starting power and He gives us staying power. Power to do, power to get through, but last, power to change. Philippians 2 verse 13 in the Phillips translation says, For it is God who is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve His purpose. That's called grace. Changing those habits, thoughts that need changing. Power to become what you are planned to be. God wants to show Himself strong through your life that He may get all the glory. But many have compromised. And we have relied on our own power, the world's wisdom, and the world's power. Let me give you some life application. The Old Testament is but a shadow, a picture, a prophecy of what was to come. We've compromised the substance for the shadow. Let me tell you a story. Glenn McCullough, who at one time was with our convention in the position of Director of Brotherhood, he's now gone on to be with the Lord. But he told this story 
of being in Washington, D.C. at the Smithsonian in the room of the life of the lifelike wax figures of all the first ladies wearing their beautiful inaugural gowns. Glenn was standing there in front of those wax replicates explaining the part of history to his children. He moved in front of the wax figure of Lady Bird Johnson and was explaining this part of our history to his children when over in another area of the room, he saw a lady listening. She looked very much like Lady Bird herself. And sure enough, standing there listening was Lady Bird in person. When I thought about that, I thought of God listening when we talk about Him. Glenn's family was thrilled to meet the former First Lady and listen to a first-hand experience of those events in her husband's presidency. While they were talking, there was a tourist trying to take a picture of the wax figure of Lady Bird Johnson. He tried to get the shot he wanted, but just could not find the right spot. Finally, he said to the real Lady Bird Johnson, Lady, would you move out of the way? I'm trying to get a picture of Lady Bird Johnson. You know, when I heard that story, I thought about us and our compromise. We have focused on the shadow. When God tells us we can feast on the substance, are you compromising this morning? You love the fellowship? You love the music? You love the ease of your conscience when you come? But you told the God of the universe, step aside. I'm going to compromise. We are content to live in the shadows of God's grace and power. But we want to compromise in so many areas of life and of living. We do that so often. I just pray and trust that as you listen to this, child of God, first of all, you would ask yourself, have I been compromising? Have I been looking at the shadows when I could have been feasting on the substance? But because I have refused and compromised, I do not have what you wanted me to have. For those of you who are God's children that are listening to me this morning, would you right now in your heart say, God, forgive me for compromising so many places in the world where I live. And beginning this morning, at this very moment, God, I want to obey you in everything I do. I want to have the power and the strength to live as you call me to live and to begin to say no to the compromises that Satan and the world is offering me. Would you be willing to do that? You may be listening and you're not sure what a relationship with Christ is really like and what He can do in your life and in my life. I want to tell you that He died and He was buried and He rose again on that first Christmas, or that first Easter, rather. And He rose 
so that you and I might have life and have it more abundantly. He desires that you might receive him by faith as Lord of your life. Would you say, Lord, I am a sinner. I've refused you to be the Lord of my life. I ask you to forgive me for that. By faith, I'm trusting you to save me. And I'm giving my life over to you with a desire to follow you in all that you ask me to do. By faith, I receive you and I will live for you in all that I do. Father, you know those who have said that. And I pray that your spirit to encourage us as we step out to obey you in all that you're doing in our lives. At this time in our service, if we were meeting together, we would be receiving our offering. In 1 Chronicles 29, verse 14, the Bible says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. We have given you only what comes from you and from your hand. The giving of God's people when they were building the temple was amazing. It was over the top. But their giving was not just a duty or a burden. It was a joy and a delight and they could hardly believe what they were giving. They enjoyed it. And I want you to know that that's how God wants us to give. God bless you as you continue to give during these difficult times. And if you have not given as one of His children, let me just say to you, you step out on faith to trust God to provide for all your needs while you, in faithfulness to Him, give back to Him what belongs to Him. He will surprise you in what He will do. Let me also remind you again, check on your neighbors and every opportunity that you have to make sure they're all right and on your church family. What an opportunity that you and I have to be the hands and the feet of Christ in our hurting world. My goodness, what a difference we could make in all of this if we would do that. I pray that you will. Would you close with me in prayer? This morning I pray for the sick of those that grieve today, for those who have sickness and they grieve over that, and their family that's grieving for them. Father, I pray they will find healing in the hands of the great physician. And Father, I I pray that you would stop this virus. Stop it from further spreading. But God, I also pray that your kingdom come, your will be done. I ask comfort for those who have lost their loved ones. Father, I ask that you comfort each of them with your unfailing love and your grace. As you say in Isaiah, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Father, make me aware of those I can minister to this week that I might, for the privilege 
to share peace and love with those who don't know. Those who are searching for real peace and real love. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.